So good to see you today. I'm glad you're worshiping with us. Before we jump into the message, um, real quickly for those who have been with Journey for uh, a while, at the beginning of our days and for the first couple of years, um, Kevin and Angie O'Shields were uh, a huge part of our church and us getting uh, our church started here. Great volunteers. Their son, Nathan O'Shields, was also a part of our, our student ministry. And Nathan is right down here. And the reason I bring it up is because some of you know that Nathan uh, had cystic fibrosis. Uh, for most of his life and just a few short months ago many of us were praying because Nathan had a double lung transplant in uh, Charleston South Carolina and he's here today so we are so glad that uh, that Nathan is doing well and uh, always love to see him and his parents all right we we are in week four of this series called back to the routine, we have lots of ways of talking about the importance of of moments. If you look up inspirational quotes around the idea of moments, you will find quotes like this, be in the moment, great, great quote, wonderful way to live, or this one, don't miss the moment, it's all we have, or this one. Sometimes you will never know the power of a moment until it becomes a memory. That one's attributed to Dr. Seuss, so definitely important. Chip and Dan Heath wrote a book called The Power of Moments. I was at your pie last week, and the cup they gave me said, Make everyday moments better with pizza. And I love that one. That is the best one so far but we somehow know just how important moments are sometimes we don't realize how important they are till they've already passed right we know that was a great moment that was a good season i shouldn't have i shouldn't have missed that moment i was so busy in my routine i was so busy in all of the stuff i needed to get done that i don't feel like i enjoyed that moment we know that life is made up of moments um, your memories of childhood or, or as a teenager or even as an adult, your memories come down to moments, right? You, you don't remember a whole day from your childhood, like from the time you got up to the time you went to bed when you were nine years old. There is no day that you remember everything that you did, but you do remember moments from those days. You, you remember important Uh, moments from a specific time in your life or an important conversation that you had with someone Uh, that's the way moments are Um, I I, I realize that I get points deducted for quoting C.S. Lewis two weeks in a row but I'm going to take the deduction because there's there's a line from one of his books that I want to borrow today it's from his novel uh, Till We Have Faces and I'll just be honest with you I didn't get that book like I, I still don't know what that book's about I read the whole thing. Uh, Some of you have this dysfunction where you start a book and you feel like you have to finish it. I'm that way. I have that dysfunction because I kept telling myself, I'm going to get to the end and it's all going to make sense. I got to the end. It did not make sense. Like not any of it. Uh, And I love C.S. Lewis. Uh, Some of you are far more intelligent than I am and you've read Till We Have Faces. and, And right now you're thinking about the great point, how deep and wonderful it, I, I didn't get that at, at all. And if you got it, don't explain it to me afterwards. You'll just make me feel bad about myself. So just keep it to yourself. Nonetheless, while I did not get the book, 
I did get this one line. It is the only line that I remember from the whole book, and it's this line. On a great day, the thing that makes it great may feel the least part of it. On a great day, the thing that makes it great may feel the least part of it. It may just be one little moment. And he goes on to use preparing a meal as the example. Um, and, and the book is set in some sort of alternate time, but you have to go out and you have to kill it, and you, and you have to prepare it, and then you have to, then you have to cook it, and then you have to sit. But that moment when you sit down all together, which is the shortest part of the whole thing, because then you got to clean up, which takes longer than actually eating. That moment when you sit down all together, that makes it all worth it. Like that, that little moment is the greatest part of the day. And if you think about your life, you probably can think of some times when that was true uh, it wasn't the whole day maybe the whole day was boring maybe most of the day was very routine or maybe it was a hard day even but but it was this one little thing that happened there was this one little conversation that you had this little thing that you saw there was this one little event and it it, it made the whole day a great day that sometimes on a great day the thing that makes it great may feel the least part of it, the moment We've been talking about routines. We're, we're back in the routine. Kids are back in school. We're getting up at the uh, same time. We're going to bed around the same time. We got practices in school. We got all these things that, that are, are filling up our ordinary routine day. And so we've been challenging each other. We've been discussing in this series, how do we, in the midst of the running and the stress and the obligations and the routine, how do we keep discovering God in the midst of of that we've we've talked about just ordinary views just things that we see every day that God speaks through we've talked about just ordinary little acts that we could do for other people that matter we've talked about ordinary people and how important they are and so I want to talk today about ordinary moments just those moments in your day-to-day life and I want to jump over to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in in Deuteronomy it's the fifth book of the Bible if you want to follow along in your Bible, the, the verses will be on the screen as well. In Deuteronomy, Moses leads the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they go right up to the promised land. Pretty short order. They're at the edge of the promised land, ready to go in. If you remember the story, the whole nation voted and decided, we don't want to do that. We're afraid to go in, which God had told them to go in. So they get punished by God and they have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That entire generation of adults die off and then 40 years later they come back to the edge of the promised land and now they're getting ready to go in. This is the second time they've been at the border of the promised land. So the book of Deuteronomy is Moses reminding this new generation what God said. Right? They, they don't really have memories. Some of them weren't alive the last time they came to the promised land. So Moses is saying, look, before we go in, I want to remind you of the commands of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, he reminds them of the Ten Commandments. So we get a recap of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. And then Deuteronomy chapter 6 begins like this. 
These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Again, he's reminding them, this is what God wants for you. This is what God desires for you. When we go into the promised land, when you go into the promised land, this is how you are to live. Here's the people you are to be. And it's, it's not because God's punishing you. God wants good for you. God is for you. He is on your side. And if you live this way, things will go well for you. You will prosper. Your children will prosper. Your children's children will prosper. These are the good things God wants for you. And then beginning in, in verse 4, we begin a passage of Scripture that um, observant Jewish people would call the Shema. This is a prayer, the Shema, is, is a prayer that Jewish people pray twice a day, beginning of the day and end of day. It's, it's this little section in Deuteronomy 6, it's a short section in Deuteronomy 11, and then a short section in Numbers chapter 15, and twice a day they would pray this prayer. It would sound something like this, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And the only reason I know that is I had to memorize it in Hebrew class in college. So that's about the only thing I remember right there. That's how it begins. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear. That's what Shema means. Hear. Pay attention. Listen. Hear, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is how the prayer Begins. He is not the God of the Egyptians who had a polytheistic system. There are gods of harvest and rain and moon and sun. Our God, the one true God, is one. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then I, I'm going to read portions of the rest of this prayer called the Shema. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. And then if we skip ahead in the prayer to the passage from Deuteronomy 11, you'll hear a lot of repetition. Deuteronomy 11, beginning in verse 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. And then jumping ahead to the Numbers passage, 
The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Let me summarize, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, some of the examples that he gives. Let me, let me summarize what I think Moses is communicating to the people and communicating to us. Moses is saying, in ordinary ways, at ordinary times, in ordinary places, remember God. In ordinary ways, at ordinary times, in ordinary places, remember God. Keep God in front of you. Remember his commands. Remember who he is. Remember what he has called you to. Remember the people that you are. Not just on Sundays. Right? Not just on special days. Not on day, just on days of worship or, or celebration. Ordinary days. In ordinary ways. In ordinary places. Remember God. One of the threads that goes throughout the Old Testament in God's teaching of his people is this emphasis on the need to remember. God knew that we would forget. We would forget his teachings. We would forget him, and they did. God had to keep saying, remember, remember, you forgot. Remember, right? Remember that you forgot that time. Don't forget again. Remember. And God gives them practical ways to remember, he says at several points in the Old Testament, after he had just performed a miracle, build a memorial right here so you won't forget. God does not trust our memories, apparently. Build a, put a pile of rocks here because you're going to have to pass this pile of rocks every day or every week or in some cases, once a year, you're going to be going to Israel, to Jerusalem and you're going to pass that pile of rocks and every time you do, I want it to trigger in your mind what I did and then I want you to tell your kids what I did. Remember, remember. Some of you are like me and you grew up in, in kind of traditional church world, which is a great world, not knocking that world, um, it gave us a lot and you sang hymns every week and one of those hymns was a, a hymn called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing some of you you're humming it in your mind right now there's a line in that hymn that says here I raise mine Ebenezer and we sang it our whole life we never knew what in the world an Ebenezer was right we, we just sang it because they told us to sing it no clue what that meant an, an Ebenezer was a memorial here I'm going to raise up Something that will help me remember God, that will draw my mind to God, that will teach me about God, and I'm going to put it in the middle of my ordinary life, as I'm going about my business, as I'm handling my day, I'm going to put things that cause me to remember the goodness of God, remember what he's done for me, remember what he's done for others. Moses gives some specific ways and times to do that. For example, Moses says in the passages that we read, uh, when you're at home, you can do this. If you're not sure when to do it, do it at home. Just when you're, when you're at home, remember God. When you're at home, impress upon your children who God is. And not only when you're at home, Moses says, as you walk along the way. In other words, when you're not at home. You know a good time to remember God when you're home and when you're not at home. 
Those are good times to remember God, to remember his goodness to you, to be grateful to him, to, re- to remember his word, to remember his commands. When you're at home and when you walk along the way, which most of us don't walk along the way, do we? So we, we would translate it as you drive along the road, as you sit in the drive through at Chick-fil-A. Tell your kids about the Lord's chicken, right? So I'm kidding. As as you're on the way, as you're waiting for practice to start, as you're picking up from practice, as you're driving to work in the morning, as you're coming home in the afternoon, have ways, practical, tangible ways to keep God in front of you. Now, notice that Moses doesn't say, you should remember God when your kids go to youth camp, which I'm pro-youth camp. Right, love me some youth camp, all for youth camp. But Moses says, no, it's not just for youth camp. It's, it's for when they're at home and when you're at home. It's not just for VBS. It's not just when they go to their Christian Learning Center class at school that they should learn about God. It's not just when they go to their Christian school. Hopefully they learn about God in all of those places. All of those places can be wonderful benefits to you, your family, your children. But Moses says, no, you, when you're at home, remember God. Talk about God. Impress the things of God on your children, on your family. Bring them to your own Mind When you get up in the morning, he says. When you get up in the morning, remember God, and when you go to bed, remember God. Which are two great times. Like before the day starts, having time set aside where you put your mind on the things of God. You listen to worship music. You read scripture. You pray. Before you start your day, at the end of your day, wonderful, specific times. But I don't think Moses is so much trying to give us specific times. I think Moses is saying morning, evening, all the time in between. All the sun up, sun down. At home, not at home. All about your ordinary day. All about your normal routine. Remember God. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's given to you. I I know we're not all parents, and even those of us who are parents, we aren't all at the same stage in our parenting, but I just want to say a couple of things to parents who are in the room. Parents, the primary responsibility for spiritual direction in your child's life is you. It's you. The primary responsibility for spiritual direction in your child's life is you. We're here to supplement that. We're we're here to come alongside you. We're we're here maybe to fill in some gaps that maybe you don't feel equipped to handle. Yeah, we're here for that. But the primary influence in their life, the primary ones who can point them to Jesus is not me, and it's not Ian or Jennifer, and it's not their Christian Learning Center teacher, and it's not their Christian school the pro- all of those we're going to partner with you we're going to come alongside you we want to be a part of that but the primary responsibility is you that you when you get up and when you go to bed when you're at home and not at home that you would not only point yourself to God but you, that you would point your kids to God that they would see in you someone who loves God 
Someone who pursues God. Someone who loves God's word. Who loves to worship God. Who loves to be in the presence of God. Who takes God seriously. Who believes what Jesus said should be taken seriously. That's primarily your responsibility. And and we join with you in that responsibility. But notice, Moses says to the parent first, these commands should be on your heart. And then only after that, he says, impress them on your children. These these have to sit in your heart. You have to carry the things of God in your life, in your spirit, in your mind, before you can transfer them to your kids. The commands of God need to be on your heart. And, And I would even say this. If faith, God, and the church are not important to you, it is extremely difficult for us to convince your child that it should be important to them. Very difficult for Ian to do that, for Jennifer to do that, for their Christian Learning Center teacher to do that, for their Christian school leaders to do that. It's very difficult for us to impress upon your kid that Jesus and God's word and church are important when they don't see that from you. You are the primary spiritual influence in their life. And they see you. They watch you. They know what is and isn't important to you. They know what translates from Sunday to Monday in your life. They know what translates from worship service to daily life in your life. You can't hide that as well as you think you can. And it is very difficult. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. We have some... We have some incredible students in our, in, our, in our student ministry whose maybe parents aren't in when it comes to the things of God and they've just determined that they're going to follow hard after God. I'm not saying that doesn't ever happen. That does happen. I'm just saying, Mom and Dad, you, you have the primary, the primary opportunity to influence your kids spiritually. Do it. Take those moments. Make it a regular conversation and I would even add this warning the negative spiritual impact of not having that is always greater in the second generation it's always greater in the second generation here's how I would explain it Um, over the last couple of years all the research says all the studies say believe them if you want All the research says that millions of people in our country who who went to church five years ago don't go to church anymore. Millions of people stopped going to church. Something happened over the last three and a half years. I don't have no idea what happened over the last three and a half years. Because you know it's pretty non-eventful three and a half years. These last three. Something happened over the last three and a half years and millions of people that were very active at church don't go to church anymore. A lot of different reasons. All of those people feel justified in why they don't go to church. My point is not to get into that those weeds right now. Happy to get into it later. They all feel justified for not going 
uh, to church anymore. Some of them, I think, have done it intentionally, and some of them have done it unintentionally. Uh, I think some of them don't even realize they haven't been to church the last three years. And I'm not being facetious. I'm not being funny. There are people who still think they are attached to a church that they haven't attended for three or, three, three or four years. So I think some of it's intentional. I think some of it's unintentional. Routine, life just got carried away. But here's what's true about that group. The adults who have decided to no longer go to church, they have a pretty solid upbringing in the church and in spiritual matters. We can argue, we can debate as to how well their foundation was and how grounded they were and are they really Christians. Like we, we can go down all of those little roads. The reality is the adults who have pulled out of church completely over the last few years, they have at least some foundational understanding of God and spiritual things because they were in church until just a couple of years ago. Their kids don't. They don't. And, and, and they're growing up with parents who feel justified in walking away. Another conversation. Feel justified in walking away and their kids are not getting that grounding and foundation. That, that's what I mean by the negative impact is almost always worse in the second generation because they miss that whole time of being in a youth group, of, of being under God's word, of being a part of a church and a ministry, and beginning to understand spiritual things. And so I get it. There are some parents who feel justified in walking away. My concern is there's a whole generation now that's not getting the grounding in God's word that they need in ordinary ways, at ordinary times, Remember God in, in your family, in your relationships. Remember God. Remember what he has done for you. Moses even gives the people some tangible ways to do this. Repeating myself, but let, let's read Deuteronomy 6, 8, and 9. Moses at one point says, tie them, the commands of God is what he's referencing. Tie the commands of God as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates he repeats that in Deuteronomy 11 tie them on your foreheads on your hands or your arms affix them to the door frames of your houses and then in Numbers 15 he says on the tassels of your robe make a blue strand to remind you of the commands of God, tangible, visible ways to remember God. Was he being literal? He was, he was probably being literal about the blue strand. Was he being literal uh, about tying commands on our foot? I don't know. What I do know, what we all know, is that future generations of, of observant Jews took him literally. And they made little black boxes called uh, tefillin or phylacteries or just prayer boxes and they would strap them to their forehead when they prayed or they would wrap them around their arms when they would pray and inside those boxes were scrolls of scripture 
sometimes the Shema, sometimes other scrolls. It was a way of tangibly saying, the word of God is close to me. The word of God is part of me. If you've visited perhaps a friend's house who is Jewish, then you've seen a little cylinder on their doorframe called a mezuzah. In that cylinder is a scroll, usually with the Shema written on that scripture. In some Jewish houses, on every room, there is another little cylinder, a mezuzah, that has scripture in it. It was a tangible, visible way, still is, for them to see the word of God everywhere they went in their home. If you stayed in a hotel owned by a Jewish person, certainly if you've been to Jerusalem and stayed in a hotel in Jerusalem, you have seen these little cylinders on the doors. People took Moses literally... When, when Moses said, <clears throat> keep the commands of God near you, in front of you. Tie them on your foreheads. Put them on your arms. Put them on the door frames of your home. Right? What, what can we take away from that? We're not practicing Jewish people. We're not observant Jews. We can take this away. Tangible, visible reminders can help us experience God in the moments of our day. Tangible Visible reminders can help us experience God just in the routine of our day. If you find yourself in this season of schedule, in this season of routine and stress and rush, rushing through your day and not having time for God, put something in front of you. Put a scripture verse on your mirror when you get ready in the morning. Put a prayer list on your desk that you can pray for throughout the day put something in your car that will just catch your eye and will just bring your mind bring your attention bring your affections back to God put something on your book bag put something on your locker that just triggers in your mind a reset to bring your thoughts and your mind back to God now I acknowledge that we not only know that these type of symbols were used, we also know they were misused. Right? So we get to the New Testament, and Jesus has some pretty harsh things to say about, about people who apparently were making really big prayer boxes for their forehead so that other people could see just how spiritual they were. Right? It probably looked ridiculous. Jesus said, why are you doing that? This isn't so other people will know how spiritual you are. This was to be a tool to help you remember God. Not some way for you to get attention because you're so spiritual. So they can be misused. Absolutely they can be misused. They can be misunderstood. Uh, in, in our church... Um, we, we don't use a lot of icons. We don't use a lot of imagery in the way that some other churches do, some other church traditions do. There's benefits and, and negatives to both. A lot of church traditions are, are very iconic in that they have symbols all throughout the room. Nothing wrong with any of that unless we begin to believe the icon somehow has the power rather than that, than that the icon is pointing me to the one who has the power. Uh, crosses aren't lucky, right? It's not, it's not like a magic charm we're talking about. 
We're talking about putting things in front of our eyes that we will come across on a daily basis that point us to God, that remind us of God, that, that point our family to God, maybe even family tradition. These are things that we do regularly as a family to remind all of us of what we believe and, and why, why we love God and why we follow God. It, it, here's the caution. The power is not in the symbol, but in the God that the symbol points us to. And if symbols help you, use them. Moses said it was okay to have reminders. It was okay to put things in front of your ordinary routine day, to draw your attention, to draw your mind to the things of God. A couple of other things really quick. How can we interrupt our ordinary day with ordinary moments that point us to God? Take time to pray, just as simple as that is. Take time to pray. Moses said, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, that's fine. If you, if you have specific times, it's great. But developing the ability to pray at any time in any place, even if it's just a brief prayer, the, the moment you begin to feel fearful or anxious, have a moment. Have a moment with God. 10 seconds, 30 seconds. The time that somebody keeps coming to your mind and you don't know why, some of you have experienced that. Like somebody keeps coming to my mind and there's no reason why I should be thinking of this person. Maybe God wants you to pray for that person. Maybe God wants you to pray for that person and then text that person and see how they're doing. Just being sensitive to the prompting of God to pray. Another suggestion, make gratitude and praise habits in your life. Gratitude and praise. The ordinary running around of your life. Instead of getting swept up in all the things that you have to do, remember all the things that you have. Instead of getting stressed out about all the things that didn't get accomplished today or what your calendar looks like for the next week, find moments in that calendar just to be grateful for what you have. God, this is what I have. And I've got all these other things pulling at me and I have all of this other stress that's going on in my life, but I want to be aware that this is what you have given to me. I want to be grateful and I want to respond to you in praise. I want to respond to you in worship. Sometimes just three minutes of a worship song, five minutes of a worship song, 20 minutes of a worship song if it's Maverick City. Whatever it is, just, just like this little, can I just take this moment and breathe for a moment and reset my heart and reset my mind on the God who loves me and sees me and in this ordinary day and all the things that I have to do has not forgotten me. Last thing. Identify the ordinary moments in your life, because they may be different from someone else. Identify the ordinary moments that have extraordinary potential in your life. Like This is something that I do regularly that God could use. This is something that I do regularly that I could use as a time of prayer. I could use as a time of worship. I could use as a time to encourage somebody else. What are those ordinary moments in your life that have the potential for God to use in an extraordinary way. One of the things we love about reading the life of Jesus is that Jesus did not close himself inside of a church, right? 
One of the things we love about Jesus is that when God came to earth and took on flesh in the form of Jesus the Son, he did not say, build me a big building, I'm just going to sit in there and wait for all of you to come to me. Jesus said, let's go to dinner. Let's sail across this sea. Why don't we climb to the top of this mountain? He did most of his teaching for his disciples as they walked from one city to the next. Just ordinary times, ordinary places, ordinary ways. And Jesus had a way of making it meaningful. He had a way of making it count for the kingdom of God. He had a way of making it holy. He performs his first miracle at a wedding feast. He's having a party. Jesus is there. That's what, that's what we love. And sometimes we compartmentalize our following after Jesus into it has to be this thing. It has to be at this place. It has to be done this way. Maybe you could just go to dinner and that'd be good. Like that'd be a place where you could, you could minister to somebody. Maybe in the ordinary drives that you make, the ordinary places you have to go, picking the kid up from practice, sitting through marathon tournaments, that those would become holy moments because you just decided ordinary places, ordinary times, in ordinary ways, I'm going to remember God. I'm going to let God use the ordinary spaces in my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for calling us to the ordinary. Not even necessarily to go out of our way, but just when we get up, all the way to when we go to bed. Just when we're at home, just when we're not at home, to keep you in front of us, to keep your commands near us, to keep our affections for you glowing and bright. You didn't make it complicated. You told us that we could live out our faith right in the ordinary of our days. So help us not to leave our faith here on Sundays. Help us not to leave our commitment to you here on Sundays and then pick it back up again the following Sunday. But in ordinary ways, in ordinary places, at ordinary times, to remember you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.